Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at a topic that has been grabbing headlines and inciting fear. Well, just introducing it that way, it doesn't leave much question for our topic today. Yes, we indeed are going to talk about coronavirus. COVID-19 has been, if you will, terrorizing the world, even if it's not in your neighborhood, even if you don't have any cases yet identified on your reservation or in the area in which you live. A lot of media attention is being directed at this condition. I'm recording this show on March 10th, and although we're hoping to turn this around very quickly and get this out to you within the next week or two, I know that things will change between now and then as it relates to this very rapidly evolving condition. So what I've decided to do on today's show is to focus on some positive things, focus on encouraging things. I really feel a a great need to talk about this because there is so much fear, so much confusion surrounding this condition, this disease, and all the the things that are swirling about it. I want to focus on really three positive things and some things that you can do that can make a dramatic difference as far as your risk of infectious diseases in general. With that background, let me just share a little bit. I was asked a a while ago to write a short piece in one of the uh, local papers about, well, really looking at some things that might help reframe COVID-19. And we probably should step back uh, just briefly and make sure we're defining our terms. Even though these concepts have been widely discussed, I found that Well, in the past, when things are rapidly changing, sometimes people can miss some of the important connections. So let me make sure we're all up to speed. COVID-19, Coronavirus Infectious Disease 2019. This is uh, the disease that is caused by a virus in the coronavirus family. The virus is simply referred to as SARS-CoV-2, SARS for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And it's a coronavirus, COVID. It's the second of these SARS conditions that we're dealing with. Of course, there was a Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome also caused by a coronavirus a few years back. But um, sometimes folks get confused. SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, what's the difference? SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. That's what we're calling the virus. And then COVID-19 is the actual disease. So we're speaking about this disease, and we're talking about could there be some blessings in the curse? Uh, That was actually the title of a a short op-ed piece that I wrote, Today's Novel Coronavirus, Blessings in the Curse, question mark. First thing I suggested is that there seems to be a renewed focus on the common good. I don't know if you have looked at what's been happening in the world through the same eyes that I've been Well, and of course you'd say, well, that's silly. Nobody can look through my eyes. But until very recently, 
it has seemed to me, especially in the United States, that our society has seemed more polarized than at any time in recent history. And that's true whether you look at things happening in Indian country, things uh, that are happening independent of, of Native American concerns. It just seems that people are so polarized, so angry. In this light, it was especially encouraging quite recently to see the, the recent broad bipartisan support for over $8 billion in spending to help counteract the uh, the current issue with COVID-19. I find that encouraging. I, I find it encouraging that even though we're talking about something that is potentially very serious, we are seeing people coming together. And what's happening on a national level is also happening on a regional and county level. Just last week, and again, this uh, show being recorded on March 10th, just last week I had the privilege of tuning in to a discussion that was involving Native American leaders and government agencies all around the table, if you will. Uh, it was virtual. I was uh, connected via a, uh, a conference call. But people were talking about the level of cooperation between government agencies and tribal agencies in very positive terms. And I'm speaking about tribal leaders. So just the fact that they were invited around the table, that uh, these dialogues were taking place, very encouraging to see this uh, this proactive approach from government leaders reaching out to Indian country and vice versa. So encouraging things happening, common good being focused on, and I'm encouraged about this. Uh, employers are looking at creative strategies for telecommuting. Uh, faith communities are exploring novel ways of, of ministry that can still respect measures for social distancing when needed. And individuals are resisting impulses to, uh, to, to stockpile things that they may not need, that others might. Uh, even though uh, I hear health professionals decrying individuals taking surgical masks and other equipment from hospitals, just walking off with them. Uh, the point is many other people are actually saying, I need to be mindful of the needs of other people in my community, uh, on my reservation, in my tribal setting, in my community center, at my workplace. This, to me, is all encouraging. So one thing that I see positive in all this discussion about the, uh, the novel coronavirus uh, and the COVID-19 uh, disease that it's causing. One thing that's a positive is I see a lot more dialogue with people working together, people communicating, looking for the common good. Now, some of you might say, well, that's an unusual thing to say because we're talking about restricting people coming together. Uh, we're talking about not working in the same space. Let me just pause here. In other settings over the last week, I have talked with people about some of my take on some of the, the public health approach to COVID-19. And I'm really thinking on today's show, it's, uh, it's not appropriate. And the reason I say that is because this situation is evolving so quickly. Uh, I've sometimes uh, said, boy, my take on some of this has not been right. And no doubt you've said, well, hey, the CDC hasn't gotten this just right, or the Chinese government hasn't gotten it just just right, or how they've dealt with it in Italy uh, has not been good, or how the South Koreans are dealing with it, and on and on and on. You might be labeling some governments, some agencies, some individuals as making the right calls and others as making wrong calls. Here's the point. When something's rapidly evolving, we're going to get some things wrong. But as things progress, we're likely to get much more right. So as we speak about a renewed focus on the common good, I want to do that on this show. And I want to really support those of you that are in tribal leadership, those of you that rec represent government agencies, those of you that are in uh, 
public health, public health departments, tribal health departments. And here's what I want to say. I think we have to be careful about second-guessing anyone and the decisions they're making on a public level. So it's great for us to weigh in. If you think you've got a perspective that needs to be heard as a tribal leader, maybe as a as an individual, maybe how some of these things are impacting you, some of the discussions, uh, some of the discussions about quarantine or isolation or some things that might impact your ability to make a living and actually uh, put bread on the table over just the, the next week or two or pay your bills, uh, those are things appropriate to communicate to people in positions to make decisions about what we do for the common good. But having said that, if decisions are made on a public health basis that may restrict some of the things you might like to choose to do, unless there's some compelling evidence that you know your uh, your personal health is going to be compromised, I think we need to say, let's try to do what we can to cooperate with the best advice, the best information that is being given, and see if we can put aside our personal interests, so long as, again, we're not undermining our own ability to survive or the health of our families. Having said that, it really brings me to the second area that I want to discuss, and it has to do with another potential blessing in this, quote, curse of uh, SARS-CoV-2, the novel coronavirus that's causing COVID-19. And that is simply, it's causing many people to refocus on a healthy lifestyle. And I do want to take a little bit of time and talk about this, even though there's a lot of folks talking about some aspects of healthy lifestyle, fewer are talking about some other things that I think are extremely important, and I want to share those things with you. First of all, to give us a little perspective, there is no question the discussion about hygiene is clearly rightly placed. I don't care whether we're talking about coronavirus today or whether you're talking about influenza tomorrow or whether you're talking about uh, the common cold or whether you're talking about another infectious illness that will raise its ugly head in the future. Hygiene is incredibly important. You've heard a lot spoken lately about hand washing techniques and I have heard a single sound bite repeated frequently without much additional detail. The single sound bite that I've heard is about adequate time for hand washing. And I think that's totally appropriate. Uh, that emphasis is needed because many people I've observed, uh, you know, being in public restrooms, not uncommonly as I travel, that it almost seems like a, uh, well, some people would say some kind of ceremonial practice or some kind of token practice that you just stick your hands under the water for a few moments. It is true that in order for hand washing to be most effective, it does take a good 20 seconds or longer. 20 to 30 seconds is a common ground rule that's being shared. But I want to take a step beyond that, especially as we move into the uh, the public restrooms and even in your own home, because there are other aspects to proper hand washing that are often overlooked. And I want to speak about those just briefly. The first one has to do with not just taking adequate time, but what you do after you've washed your hands. Many water faucets, whether they're in your home or whether they're in a public venue, have to be turned off. And typically, you're turning those faucets off 
with your washed hands if you're not careful. Now, you say, well, what kind of faucets wouldn't be turned on? Of course, we're speaking of things, usually in public places, usually not in homes, where there's some kind of an electric eye or some kind of a, a motion-sensing device where the water goes on when you put your hands under the faucet. If you don't have such a scenario at home, and I've never had a home that had uh, such a high-tech device, then how do you turn off the water? If you turn the water off with the hands that you just washed, you are recontaminating your hands. Now, let's just pause here. Some people might think, well, this kind of dialogue is uh, not really of concern with the current COVID-19 concerns because this seems to be spread primarily by air, by aerosolization, by droplets. Let me just stop and talk about that. If you haven't heard what's emerging, yes, it does seem to be clear, uh, at least from what I've seen, that the primary mode of transmission is through the respiratory route. So if a person is infected, they have these viruses in their nose, their mouth, they're breathing, and just the act of breathing is shedding these viruses. There are small um, moisture droplets that uh, literally are coming in and out of your mouth, especially out of your mouth, but they can be coming in if you're around other people. You're inhaling some of those droplets that they have uh, have put into the air. And I know this is not a comforting thought, but this is one of the typical ways that uh, diseases like coronavirus, which, by the way, if you haven't heard, there are some coronavirus strains that have been around for a long time. They cause the common cold. So we can get that from being in close proximity to people. You may have heard a figure of three feet in particular, but um, there is evidence that these things can be transmitted further and can be transmitted by recycling the air, by fans and other devices. I say all that to say, yes, we can transmit things by the aerosolized route. But what we know about this current SARS-CoV-2 virus is it also can be uh, transmitted through stool. We at least know that it is in the stool, and it can survive in stool for multiple days. By the way, the same is true with surfaces. So here's the point. If you've used the bathroom and you're someone that has this virus, washing your hands is great, but if you turn the faucet on with your hands, you don't want to turn it off with those same hands that you've just washed. You say, what's the solution? I'm going to tell you about that, and I'm going to tell you about a lot more as we come back to our next segment of American Indian Living. We've got to step away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're focusing this entire show on things you can do practically to deal with the coronavirus. Try to remove some of the fear that's surrounding it and give you practical strategies that you can employ. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. 
For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose. I am speaking today about a current concern. It is the novel coronavirus known as SARS-CoV-2, the cause of the disease COVID-19. This uh, concern has been sweeping the world uh, in real time. It seems that we are perceiving the march of a disease right at our own doors. I think that's why it's so scary. I've been thinking about this. Why are people so frightened about this? We're going to try to remove some of the fear, but in the meantime, we're talking about practical things that you can do. And and I'll step back in a few moments and, and talk about some other things that I think help to diffuse uh, a lot of the fear that's out there. One of those things is just being proactive, doing things to decrease our risk of exposure, and that's what we're talking about right now. I've been telling you about some of the pitfalls that people make when they wash their hands. This is not just a discussion when we use public restrooms. It's also at home. Why we're talking about it, a little bit more background. What we're learning about this virus that we have seen with viruses consistently is that not only are there people that have infection with symptoms, and by the way, the vast majority of people who get this uh, current coronavirus have mild symptoms. We're talking about better than 80% of them. That's in the large case series that we have out of China. Mild symptoms, cold-like symptoms, mainly cough, uh, maybe fever, muscle aches. Yes, some people can get severe infection. They can get severe lung involvement. And yes, there are people who are dying from this. Having said all that, there is a significant percentage of people with viruses that get inapparent or asymptomatic infections. Why I'm telling you this at this juncture is this is why hygiene is so important. You may feel perfectly well, and you can actually have this virus. So as we speak about hygiene, it's not just to protect yourself, but it's to protect other people. 
So come back with me into the restroom. That's where we were as we stepped away from the last segment. Of course, figuratively speaking. You're in the restroom. You have uh, taken care of the business you needed to do there, and you're washing your hands. Once you have finished washing your hands, the question is, how do you turn off the faucet? If you're in a bathroom with an electric eye at your tribal headquarters, you've got all the high-tech stuff, great, the water just shuts off, you use a paper towel to dry off, and, uh, and that's it. But it's a little bit more complicated in your home, and often there's challenges even in those public restrooms. Here's the point. In a public restroom, or at home you can do this if you're using paper towels, and I know in some places those are becoming in short supply. What you do is after you washed and dried your hands, you turn off the faucet with a paper towel. You say, well, that's kind of wasteful. Uh, I'm just using a regular towel to dry my hands. I'm washing them thoroughly for 20 or 30 seconds. I have put a you know a very good soapy lather to, to help get any germs off my hands, or at least as many as possible. And uh, I've dried on my towel. Now my dry hands are there. Am I going to hit the faucet or am I going to hit the, the faucet, you know, the, the handle, uh, turn off the water? You know, here's something else you can do, and I may this may sound kind of strange to you, but it's uh, it's something uh, we routinely do in our homes. I know this may sound like paranoia, but uh, being married to a physician and uh, being a physician myself, uh, we have had a high respect for infectious diseases long before coronavirus ever came. So we will have something, some clean object. Uh, maybe it's uh, uh, a small uh, personal shampoo container, you know, one of those that you'd get in a hotel. It's clean, you've got it washed, and you, after you've washed your hands, dried them, you use, pick up that container that you have standing uh, near your faucet, and you turn off that faucet using that container. You could do it with a, uh, a washcloth. You keep the dirty side down on the counter, uh, you keep the clean side up, and you turn off the handles using that washcloth. I know this may sound like we're going to uh, extra unnecessary steps, but I think being especially mindful of this is warranted. Let's go back now to another problem, and that's whether it's in the public bathroom or in your own bathroom. If you're not keeping door handles clean, by the way, sure, you can clean those, you can sanitize them. And uh, the good news is that most of these common sanitizing agents, they, they kill the coronavirus. So whether you're talking about a, a weak bleach solution, whether you're talking about the, the common hydrogen peroxide sold over the counter, whether you're talking about 70% alcohol solutions, all of these kill it. Um, bleach wipes, whatever you're using. So the point is, if you're not keeping surfaces clean, if you're in a public bathroom especially, uh, where people are not necessarily using the best hygiene, use a paper towel to open up the door as you're leaving the restroom, if it's a door that you've got to open. So you've washed your hands thoroughly, you've turned off the faucet without recontaminating your hands, and then you open the door going out of the bathroom using a paper towel. In your own home, you can keep those doorknobs clean. If you're not doing that, if you say, hey, my doorknob's always dirty, got all kinds of people in the home, people coming in and out, well, um, wash your hands, then open the door, then you can wash them again if you're that concerned that the handle was, uh, was, was dirty, and then uh, you walk out. You say, is this all really necessary? I'm telling you, the evidence is that there are multiple ways to transmit this coronavirus. And by the way, it's true of, uh, of agents that cause food poisoning, even if corona never comes knocking on your back door. It is true of the common cold. It's true of flu. 
So let me emphasize one other aspect of hygiene, again, because we're speaking about practical things we can do, and I'm saying these are wise things to do, whether coronavirus is in the picture or not. Are you aware that if you just talk about two common bacterial causes of food poisoning, Campylobacter and Salmonella, some 4 million of us in the United States end up with food poisoning every year. The reason is people are not being careful when they use the bathroom and then go and eat or serve food. That is one of the main ways that these things are transmitted. You say, well, sure, they can be in our foods, they can be contaminants on the food, but if you're washing the food and you're practicing thorough hygiene practices, you can dramatically decrease the likelihood of being exposed to a host of infectious diseases. So having talked about this, again, this may sound burdensome, it may sound unnecessary, but I want to reframe something right now. Because again, I've talked about all the the fear that is surrounding this diagnosis, and I'm actually very concerned about the mental health effects of what's happening in the United States and in the world. Uh, Many people anxious, many people afraid, and what can you do? One thing you can do, practice good hygiene practices, okay? And uh, honor the things when they're talking about quarantine and self-quarantine. If you were just on a plane trip, and I'm getting to go on one myself here very shortly, within 24 hours. If I'm on that flight and I get a call from the airline saying, we just learned that someone on that flight uh, had COVID-19, the uh, health department is asking you to self-quarantine for the next 14 days, Uh, I need to do that. I need to stay away from other people and uh, make sure I'm not exposing them to the virus. And uh, this is, I believe, important as far as slowing, if not stopping, the transmission of this viral illness. Let's, though, like I said, reframe things just a little bit. And, And the reason I'm doing this is I'm trying to give ourselves some additional hope. So here's what's happening. A lot of people are afraid. They're watching the news. And uh, it's really been a scenario that seems ideally calculated to strike fear in people's hearts. Some of you know the uh, story that comes from the ancient scriptures about a man by the name of Achan. Achan is uh, described as having um, done something that his creator expressly forbade. And uh, as the story plays out, he seems, well, he seems quite comfortable. No one's going to find him. He has uh, taken some things that he was not supposed to have taken, and he's hidden them in his tent. But lots are drawn. Straws are drawn, if you will. In our culture today, you know, we generate random numbers or someone would would roll dice, but then they drew lots to uh, randomly not randomly, but to identify people, they believed that the Creator was going to guide them in showing them who was the person that had um, done this uh, this proscribed, this forbidden activity. And there's some two million people, it's believed, in this setting. There's no way that Achan would have ever thought that his straw would be drawn. But as the story plays out, straw after straw is drawn, from the, the tribe to the family to, you know, to, and it gets right down till he is singled out. And as I thought about that story and, and the result, it, it seems that as the story is playing out, Aiken must be getting more and more frightened of what's happening. Finally, when his name is called, I mean, he just gives this whole confession. He doesn't try to, to disguise it at all. It seems like the, the fear and the anxiety was building over this process. 
I mention that story because it seems a lot like what is happening today. As you hear about, oh, there's uh, cases in the U.S. now. Oh, there's cases over there in a distant state. Oh, there's cases now um, in your state, but uh, some distance away from you. Oh, uh, now there's a case. Do you understand what's going on? So closer and closer, it seems to be coming to home, just raising the level of anxiety. And I'm saying, if you want to get frightened, I mean, just keep listening to the news and don't think about proactive, positive things that you can do. Because if you focus on the scary aspects of this disease, it can be frightening. What I'm saying is I think we have an opportunity right now to reframe the dialogue, to say, what am I going to do in general to decrease my likelihood of being exposed? What can I do to strengthen my underlying immune system? That's where we're headed as we continue our dialogue. I'm going to be talking about some specific things you can do, not only to decrease your risk of exposure, that's what we've been talking about, decreasing your risk of exposing other people as well, but we want to speak about practical things you can do to strengthen your immune system make it theoretically less likely that you, if you're exposed, will come down with a serious infection with COVID-19. That's where we're headed in our next segment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose. Our topic for today's show, the coronavirus. Yes, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that has been causing all this consternation throughout the world, the cause of COVID-19. We've been speaking about positive things that grow out of this uh, potentially very scary scenario. I've been suggesting to you that one of the positive things that has been happening is there's been a renewed focus on the common good, something that uh, I think is is needed in American society and at a, at a world level. We've been speaking next about the benefits of refocusing on a healthy lifestyle. We've been talking about hygiene, uh, proper hand hygiene, other things that we should be concerned about. And we're going to talk now about some other aspects of a healthy coronavirus preventive lifestyle because it transcends discussions about hygiene. Uh, I'm going to mix some things that you would say are hygiene practices and general immune-enhancing practices, and you'll see where we're going. Let me talk with you a little bit first about a infectious disease that you've heard comparisons made with perhaps frequently over the last several weeks. The disease that we're often comparing coronavirus to is influenza. The reason those comparisons are being made is influenza is truly a killer disease as well. If you look at data from the United States, published data, we're talking about what we call a case fatality rate from influenza of somewhere around 0.1 to 0.2%. I'm looking at data right now from the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, Going back to 2010, I'm looking at annual data for the last roughly 10 years. Some of that data is uh, our estimates of 2017 to to the present. Uh, These are estimated data. But I'm looking at figures anywhere from 9.3 million symptomatic illnesses with influenza a year to upwards of 45 million. And then if you actually look at the number of deaths per year, uh, we'll see a range over the last 10 years here in the United States uh, between 12 to 61,000 deaths per year. What we do with those figures is we can calculate what we call a case fatality rate. You look at the number of deaths, you divide it by the number of symptomatic illnesses, and you come up with a figure of somewhere around 0.1 to 0.2%. Okay? What does that mean? That means 1 in 1,000 to 2 in 1,000 people who are dying if they come down with a symptomatic case of the flu. Now, again, We're talking about as many as 61,000 people a year. So influenza is clearly a killer disease. You've heard these comparisons being made. The problem is, depending on on where you look in the world, the figures for COVID-19 are much higher. Some of the initial data out of China in the range of 2 to 3%. Uh, Data out of South Korea, where they're testing a lot more people. Uh, Currently, that's looking like 0.6%. Again, 6 in 1,000. You say that's still over triple the kind of death rates that we're seeing with the worst flu years, at least in recent history in the United States. And 
to be honest with you, we may not even be comparing apples with apples. And the reason I say that, when we do these case fatality rates for influenza, we're looking at symptomatic illnesses. In places like South Korea, where they're testing more broadly for COVID-19, they're probably also picking up a lot of asymptomatic cases. If you were to do the same calculations and add asymptomatic cases of influenza uh, in the United States, your case fatality rate would be much, much lower. So I mention all that by way of background to say, yes, there are a lot of things that make this look very scary, but there are things we can do to increase our likelihood of being an individual who does not have a serious infection or an individual who is not exposed at all. Now, here's the main reason why I've brought influenza into the discussion at this point. One of the things we know about influenza is that it tends to decrease in severity, decrease in numbers of people affected as we progress through the spring and into the summer months. So we see this big drop in influenza cases and, of course, a big drop in fatality rates. We don't yet know whether we're going to see that with COVID-19. Many of us are hoping that we will. But the question is begged, why is there this seasonal pattern? I've looked at some of the medical literature on this, and there's varying opinions. Some people say, well, it may have to do with humidity. During the winter, uh, it's less humid. Maybe these viruses in, in colder, drier environments can... Uh, uh, stay alive, if you will, be infectious for longer periods of time outside the body. So there's a number of discussions about what might be the explanation. But let me give you something that even if it does not turn out to be a major reason for influenza's greater toll during the winter months, it will help you, I believe, even right now when we're speaking of coronavirus. Here's the issue. During the winter months, I have noticed that almost invariably, people tend to close their windows and recirculate their air. One simple practice can make a dramatic difference in decreasing your likelihood of exposure to any infectious illness, whether it's a cold, whether it's a flu, and yes, even the coronavirus. As people are aerosolizing, potentially putting into the air infectious viruses, they may not have symptoms, and this is one of the scary things about it. It could be a family member. They are exposed. They develop an infection. They are not sick visibly. They could still share the infection with you. I know that's a scary thing to talk about, but it is reality. It's been published in the literature about this coronavirus not long ago. I was reading about a woman, perfectly healthy, 20-year-old woman, end up contaminating five members of her family. She never got sick, but she had the coronavirus, unbeknownst to her, transmitted it to five family members. So here's the deal. If you keep fresh air circulating through your house, even in the winter months, this can dramatically decrease your risk of problems. You say, how do I do that? Even though the heater's running, the window is open a crack. There's cross-ventilation in your bedroom, in the rooms where you're eating, where you're congregating, this can make a difference in exposure. But it does something else. Fresh air has actually been shown to improve the function of your natural lung defenses. We call that the mucociliary blanket. Those little hairs in the lungs, they work better in the presence of fresh air. So when we're rebreathing air, not a good scenario. By the way, something that's really bad is 
tobacco smoke. It paralyzes cilia. I know in Indian country, that's a sensitive topic. But if you're using addictive commercial tobacco, I'll tell you, this is the time for the wake-up call. It's a call to refocus on healthy behaviors. Uh, This is the time to make a break. If you've been waiting for some reason to make a a, a clean break with uh, uh, recreational tobacco use, I would say this is the time to do it. Now, people are going to want to ask me, well, what about ceremonial tobacco use, Dr. DeRose? Uh, I'll leave you to connect those dots yourself, but uh, tobacco smoke does paralyze cellular function. By the way... Don't burn anything and inhale it. I know there's a lot of other things that people are burning and inhaling. These things are not going to help your lung defenses, okay? So the message is fresh air circulating through the room, fresh air, breathe that, powerful stuff as far as improving your general immune function. Let me share something else now. If you're a person who are prone, an individual who is prone to getting infections, then one of the things you can do to decrease your likelihood of becoming infected with anything that's making the rounds this winter is actually, believe it or not, using a humidifier. It seems that some people are predisposed to contracting illness because the respiratory tree is more dehydrated. Now you say, is there a big study looking at this? I've not seen a big study looking at it, but I will tell you an interesting story. A physician friend of mine uh, found that in dealing with patients of his who were prone to getting colds and flu during the winter months, if they would use a humidifier, this seemed to decrease their risk of getting infectious exposure. It makes sense. Keep the lining of your lungs, your respiratory tract healthier, and you will have a general line of defense that is primed for dealing not only with coronavirus, but anything else that you might be exposed to. We want to move from here and talking about general things of hygiene and prevention to some specific things that could make a difference as far as the likelihood of you surviving and thriving in the face of exposure to COVID-19 or actually succumbing to it. I mean, if you haven't heard the data, the older we get, the worse the news. And, you know, every day that news, it seems like it's getting worse for me because I keep getting older. I know that's true for all of us. But um, it's not just uh, being older. It's having chronic medical conditions, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, lung disease. Here's the interesting question. Why is it that these other what we call comorbidities, these other medical conditions would increase our risk of having serious coronavirus infection. Why would that be? A lot of people say, well, it's obvious. It's because these other conditions can undermine your immune system. Well, that may be true, but there are many people that are looking at the possibility that it may even be some of the common medications that we use to uh, deal with these chronic diseases that may be increasing our risk for severe infection with covid 19 with the uh, the SARS-CoV-2 um, virus and the infection it causes. Uh, let me just give you one example of this. I just talked with you about keeping our mucous membranes well hydrated. Many people that have heart failure or high blood pressure are taking diuretics, water pills. Now, by no means would I recommend you just throw those things away. You may be in a critical situation with your kidney health, your heart health, and you're only getting by because you're using diuretic medications. But there are many other people that are using these medications for high blood pressure or they're taking combination drugs that have these agents. One of the things they do is they cause you to get rid of sodium and water. 
they can predispose to dehydration. And just to give you a simple example, if you're taking medications that are putting your hydration status at risk, this could be increasing your risk of infectious disease. Now, some people may think this is a stretch, but let me just tell you, before doing today's show and before uh, discussing this topic about SARS-CoV-2, the, the agent that causes COVID-19, I went through and looked at some of the medical research on what I call the Methuselah factor. Some of you know I have a, a book that came out recently called The Methuselah Factor that looks at optimal blood fluidity. And uh, what I found was that there's research out there showing you impair your blood fluidity, you undermine, you weaken your immune system. So here's the message. Whether it's using diuretics, whether it's not keeping well hydrated, all of these things actually have the ability to lower your ability to deal with infectious agents. And it's not just because dehydration of your uh, uh, respiratory epithelium, the lining of your respiratory tract. It also has to do with how your blood flow is. If your blood flow is healthy, your immune system is better. So here's my message. We're going to look in our final segment today about some ways to decrease your dependence on medications. Some of those medications being used for chronic diseases may be one of the connections between why people are more susceptible to COVID-19 if they have other illnesses. We're going to be coming back to that and more in our final segment. Don't go away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We will be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. 
Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose talking about the coronavirus, the disease COVID-19, the virus SARS-CoV-2. And we're talking about things that you can do to make a difference. We've been talking about hygiene. Hygiene, incredibly important. Uh, We've tried to give you some additional pointers on that. We have talked about keeping your body, well, as healthy as possible from the standpoint of the kind of quality air you breathe and keeping well hydrated. We have moved to a discussion that I would say is on the cutting edge of this topic, and that is what we can do to improve our likelihood of uh, not being dependent on medications for chronic diseases. The reason I'm sharing this with you is for two reasons. One, there are some questions about whether some of the medications that are being prescribed for chronic diseases like diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, congestive heart failure may be part of the reason why individuals who have these conditions are at higher risk from the current coronavirus. By no means am I telling people to just stop taking their medications, but here's what I'm making a plea for. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, let's say, you do end up quarantined, you do end up isolated. Quarantined is if uh, we don't know you have the disease. You're quarantined. Maybe for 14 days you were exposed. Let's say you're, you're there in your home for 14 days. What are you going to do? I would suggest you focus on getting on a healthier lifestyle. The amazing thing about this is even if there turns out to be no connection between medications being used to treat high blood pressure, diabetes, etc., and the virulence or the, the danger of the current coronavirus, if you get on a healthier lifestyle, this will help your immune system as well. What kind of things are we talking about that can help us decrease our dependence on medications as well as enhance our immune system? Many of you throughout Indian country, if you've met me in uh, tribal gatherings, National Indian Health Board meetings, uh, National Congress of American Indian meetings, some of you have picked up one of the two books that I've uh, either written or co-authored over the last few years. One is called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. The other is called The Methuselah Factor. In those books, we lay out plans for an optimal lifestyle. Here's the great news. You don't have to have either one of those books to put into place a 30-day program absolutely free. My website, compasshealth.net compasshealth.net, go there to our section, Help for High Blood Pressure. You will find, right after you see a picture of our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, you'll see a series of free videos. They are designed one per day. Watch one per day. They're just about five minutes long. For 30 days, it will walk you through a health-enhancing lifestyle program. That program That program is designed to help people decrease their dependence on medications for high blood pressure and for diabetes. And incidentally, that program is emphasizing things that have been shown to enhance your immune system. Let me give you some examples. Physical exercise. If you're not doing anything in the way of physical exercise, we know from the research that your immune system works better with moderate daily exercise. Back in 2011, Dr. David Neiman at Appalachian State University He and his team, they uh, recruited over a 1,000 adults, 
between the ages of 18 and 85, men and women were involved in the study. They followed them over a period of 12 weeks during the winter and spring cold and flu season. They found those who were exercising regularly, that means at least five days a week, they had roughly half the likelihood of coming down with cold and flu symptoms as those who were exercising one day or fewer per week. So the message is, the message, if you want your immune system working optimally, you want to be doing some kind of physical activity. Outdoor exercise actually seems to be optimal, both as far as decreasing your risk of exposure and decreasing your risk of exposing other people. Because if you are in quarantine, if you're kind of out of circulation, if you're on a reservation and you can walk outside and there's not uh, a huge density of people, you can go out for a walk even uh, while you're quarantined. Now, some people would say, well, you know, you should be staying inside. Uh, sure. Again, like I said earlier, I'm telling you, don't disobey the, the, the public health advice. But if you're not around anyone, you're not coming in any close proximity to people, then uh, I think it's actually beneficial uh, to get outside and do something. If you say, well, that's not safe, well, then open the windows in your house while you're doing the exercise, even if it's cool outside. Give you the, uh, the effect of outdoor exercise to some extent, even if you're inside. Uh, that begs another question and another immune-enhancing strategy, and, and that is if you're inside, even if you're uh, in, the, uh, in the southwest and uh, you get plenty of sun and uh, year-round you can make vitamin D, if you're in your house with your windows open, you're not going to get much vitamin D. So vitamin D has emerged in the research as something that is important for immune strength. If you're getting outside and uh, getting outdoor exercise, you can get vitamin D that way if you're exposing your face, your arms, uh, your hands to sunshine. But even people that are doing that often do not get enough. If you don't know your vitamin D status, I would say with the current viral concerns, this is just my opinion, but I would say assume that you are vitamin D deficient. And what I find from my review of the medical literature and my work with patients over many years is it is completely safe to take 5,000 international units of vitamin D per day, even for longer periods of time. If your level is low, that will bring your level up. And uh, from all the research I've seen, this is a perfectly safe level. Yes, you've heard vitamin D is fat-soluble. That's true. Can you get toxic from vitamin D? Yes, you can. But at a level of 5,000 international units a day, um, no reports of toxicity. I've seen nothing in the literature. I've seen nothing in my experience. Some of you may only need 2,000 international units a day, and if you know that and you've been taking it or 1,000 units a day and your doctor says your level's great, hey, I'm good with that. But um, in my case, I like to see my level in the 40s or 50s, and uh, for me, that takes about 5,000 international units per day with my uh, current inability to get effective sunshine being uh, up in the northern states where uh, this time of year we're not getting good sun exposure. Okay, so we've talked about exercise. We've talked about vitamin D. What about diet? Are there things in our lifestyle that we can be eating that can make a difference? We don't have a lot of time to talk about this in detail, but if you go through my free program, uh, it's called 30 Days to Natural Diabetes and High Blood Pressure Control. I know it sounds similar to one of the books I wrote, but 30 Days to Natural Diabetes and High Blood Pressure Control. It's on YouTube, uh, but you can link to it right through my website, compasshealth.net. Compass, giving you direction. We're directing you to health, and it's .net because we're fishing for the best solutions for you. So remember, compasshealth.net, 
and you can go to our Help for High Blood Pressure. You'll find those free videos. And you go through those videos. We're going to talk about diet. The diet that we're going to point you to is one that really honors traditional native practices. A lot of things like beans and seeds. Beans and seeds are rich in zinc. Many of the strategies for both prevention and treatment of viral illness are saying zinc is an important factor. There's evidence showing that zinc is important in dealing with coronaviruses. Some people say, yes, Dr. DeRose, but that zinc needs to be inside the cells. Well, listen, if you're deficient in zinc, you don't have it in your cells, and you don't have enough of it in your bloodstream either. You don't have enough of it in your cells. So uh, what I'm recommending is... uh, People eat more beans and seeds. Now, some people will say, but Dr. DeRose, there's a lot of zinc in flesh meat, the flesh of animals. Uh, My wild game will give me a lot of zinc. Well, you can't get zinc in animal flesh foods, but I'm recommending against it. We, We know that things that ramp up the stress hormones in your body are generally undesirable when it comes to optimal immune functioning. What, uh, uh, a Dr. Steve Provence showed some years ago in a fascinating paper, uh, some, some two decades ago now, was uh, as we eat more of these animal products, it raises these stress hormones. And uh, you've seen studies, you've heard discussion about how eating more animal products raises inflammatory compounds in the body. This is not in our interest as we're trying to optimize our immune system. So eat more of those uh, plant products, those three sisters, the corn, the beans, the squash, uh, beans and seeds, especially rich sources of zinc, which seems to have some uh, special benefits in the immune arena. Well, I want to tell you about one more thing. Uh, try to sneak this in uh, before we finish, and that is uh, a last aspect. I've told you at the beginning of the show three things, three powerful things, three positive things that this uh, coronavirus outbreak uh, can do for us. I told you one of them was focus on the common good. I told you a second one, focus on healthy lifestyle. Let me tell you what the third one is in my assessment. The third one is refocus on the meaning of life. Now, this may sound like a crazy thing to talk about in just a few uh, moments that we have remaining, but here's what I want to tell you. Um, As we talk about life and death matters, reconnect with the spiritual traditions that have been of value to you in the past. You say, Dr. DeRose, those didn't work for me. Well, reconnect with others. Connect with that spiritual dimension. Why are you here? Why did the Creator put you on this planet? If you focus on a spiritual meaning for life, no matter what's going on around you, you can have a greater confidence, a more positive outlook. I know that's been true in my life. I really believe, and I I know from my own experience, that there is a creator that cares about me, that wants to direct my steps. And whether I'm exposed to COVID-19 and whether I succumb to the disease or not, in the meantime, he's giving me an opportunity to make a difference in my family and my community and beyond. He will do the same for you. Hopefully, I've given you some words of encouragement in dealing with the current concerns about coronavirus. Put a healthy lifestyle into practice. Follow hygienic principles. Be concerned for the common good and all of us will fare better. I'm Dr. David DeRose. For all of us at American Indian Living, as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.